Cars, start your engines! Hit the pace car! What for? Because you hit every other damn thing out there, I want you to be perfect! When I'm driving, I got a guy on the radio who talks to me. He talks to me. He didn't slam you, he didn't bump you, he didn't nudge you, he rubbed you. And rubbing son is racing. Hey race fans, welcome to the Hoobazoo Radio Network and welcome to Drafting the Circuits. My name is Frank Santoroski, I'll be your host for the next hour as we preview the Indianapolis 500 and also cover the other racing news of the week. Joining me in the studio, I've got Seth Eggert, Richard Uden, Louise Torres. Fellas, how we doing tonight? Doing well. Still chasing. Still chasing. All right, so qualifying is done for the Indy 500. A couple more practice uh, days left. We've got Carb Day coming up. The race will be on Sunday. We've already talked about the fact that the race will run without fans, and I think uh, uh, we've already gotten our grief and tears and, and whatnot over about that. But let's, uh, let's talk about the race and talk about the field. Um, so obviously the big news story, Marco Andretti, who was a solid all through all the practice sessions, um, he, on Fast Friday he set uh, the fastest Fast Friday lap since, oh, you know, 1996, I believe. Uh, and then on the Fast Nine shootout, he was the last to go out, and he held his composure and beat uh, Scott Dixon to the pole uh, by just uh, a few fractions. Um, so Marco will start from the pole, his first pole, and and here's a guy who, admittedly. Takes a lot of knocks, um, but I think this is the most confident I've seen him in quite a while. You know, as uh, a lot of folks like to point to the fact that Marco's been in the series since 2006. He's won exactly two races. Um, in the meantime, he's held on to a, a job at a top team where his teammates have won championships and Indy 500s, and uh, Marco seems to languish at the back, although... Uh, you know, all things considered, he has had moments of brilliance throughout his career, particularly at Indianapolis. I mean, he's finished in the top uh, three, I believe, three times, and in the top five, four or five times. Uh, so it's not all gloom and doom. But the last couple of years, the last few years, two, three years, he's really seemed lost. Um, mm-hmm. But something last is – Last year in some, particular. Last year – well, last year in particular at the 500, I believe that was – that was a mechanical. He had a lot of high hopes going in there. He had the, um, you know, he had the paint scheme honoring uh, honoring Granddaddy, and um, that, the car lost a cylinder early on, and he was, at, you know, he was back in the pack. He was, uh, it, he was just there. He was just turning laps, couldn't uh, could do anything. But uh, uh, renewed confidence. He's so he's working with um, Brian Herta rather than um, his own dad on the radio for the second year in a row, and we do know. For a fact that that Brian Hurd is a pretty darn good race strategist, uh, you know, there's uh, two guys that'll tell you that uh, who won under 
who have won Indy 500s with a uh, herd on the radio, and that would be a certain Mr. Alexander and Mr. Dan Weldon. So, uh, Louis, I'm going to do all the talking today. So let's uh, let's talk about Marco a little bit, and let's talk about the rest of the front row, which will be comprised of uh, uh, Chip Ganassi Racing, Scott Dixon, and then Ray Hall Letterman's Asado. Uh, on the outside of, of row one, so that's uh, Marco and two former Indy 500 winners. So, uh, so what are what are your thoughts on on Marco? Can he really do it? Well, I mentioned this last, exactly last week when it was day one. He was fast as thinking. We all mentioned it a little bit. Yeah, he may have started off good, but as the month progresses, he may struggle. Not the case this time around. I think with just only a few practice sessions and then a few, just two weeks rather than a whole month, I think it's brought some whole new confidence and more laser focused Marco Andretti we have not seen in a real long time so for it was definitely a feel-good moment something that IndyCar has really needed for a real long time if you ask me needs some true positivity because a lot of fans are still disgruntled and angry and trying to just accept the fact of what's going on this Sunday will be completely different albeit Doug Bowles will assure that same vibe at the house will feel exactly the same to some but this is great for the Andretti's. It has been night since 1987 that Andretti won a pole in Indianapolis 500, which obviously that was Mar- Mario. Well, and that's, all, that's also three years ago. That's also the year Marco was born. Marco was born in 1987. He was born in March 1987, so he was just a few months old when Mario put that puppy on pole. Well, I feel like whenever, well, we have to find out how car car day goes for marco if obviously we'll never know how the weather's going to be that's always going to be number one how will the weather fare but marco has done really well race trim qualifying trim he's got the complete package but the i feel like the only guy probably one or two guys that will prevent marco from winning this 500 in his 15th attempt which will be his first win in 149 races in the indycar side it will definitely be scott dixon Look at Scott Dixon. I mean, like, after, hours after qualifying second, he, he wrecked the thing, and about less than an hour, the crew fixed it, knowing it was minor damage, and, like, now, what, like, five minutes in, back in the circuit, he was quickest up until Elio and Marco topped him off, and also Ryan Hunter Ray. I feel like this Michael Hannon and Scott Dixon connection is still very lethal. I think he hasn't unleashed everything yet. And I feel like come race day, this could be the greatest chance for Dixon to become a two-time Indianapolis 500 champion. Yeah, to and to to your point, Scott Dixon is way overdue a second Indy 500 win. I mean, you would think a guy with with the the number of wins and championships that he's put up, you know, would have would have won this thing a couple more times than he has. But he's just, he's got that one, and it was a very convincing win uh, back in 08 when he won the thing. Uh, but yeah, he's been a little. Snake bit at Indy. You know, he's had a couple of good finishes. He was, uh, you know, there's the Dario thing. Dario was always <laughs> the, the the yellows always went Dario's way. Um, yeah, right place, right time. Right place, right time. Yeah, I, I think somebody li- liked to put up the stat that uh, none of Dario's three wins happened under green, which is true. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, so Dixon absolutely has a has a shot. Uh, but the other guy in the front row. Is there's not a lot of folks talking about him, right? But he's quietly had a pretty darn good month of August. Yeah, see, yeah. It's, it's hard to say month of May. Uh, but uh, Sato went into the Fast Nine as the you know slowest guy who just squeaked into the Fast Nine, jumped up six spots, put it on row one. Then of course, yeah, the, the, the new thing about Sato. 
you say about Taku, which is all I'm first to say. He was the first one out, but compared to everybody else where they lost about a couple miles an hour, Sato's all four laps have been stagnant. He didn't, he, I think for what, what I calculated, it was less than a, well less than a mile an hour dropish. And the second lap was faster than the first. So that told me that when it comes to consistency and long term, if you put Sato in the right spot, there's no denying that Sato is going to be strong. Even a year ago when he was, in the midst of the whole Rossi Pagano fight, one bad mistake with one of those two guys, Sato probably would have attacked with any hesitation for the win as well. So he's been up there and showing he's been probably one of the more stronger Indy 500 guys in recent memory. Yeah, certainly, because you've got to – I mean, number one, he's won the thing. Uh, you, you know, number, number two, you know, in 2012, he was right there if he'd have just uh, maybe – Waited until, you know, turn three instead of turn two to, to try to make the pass. He probably would have won in, in 2012. He had the fastest car right there. Uh, and he's had a lot of other really good runs. And, you know, factor in the fact that he really feels at home uh, with Ray Hall Letterman racing. He gets along well with his engineers. I mean, he's he's won a couple races. He's won three races with the team uh, since he's joined them to Graham Ray Hall zero. Um you know, and and they've been in in very different circumstances. You know, he's he he won at uh, uh, Gateway, right, and he won at Portland. Yep. And, yep, um, both of which I saw firsthand, and they were all different races. All, all different races, then. Hall. Yeah, it's how the circumstances have worked. I feel like though, and I mean, an Indy 500 win will be no surprise, but he's done it all in different configurations, as we talked about. He won a Barber. Won at Portland and he won at Gateway. All different tracks, all different circumstances that propelled him to that point. Right, and you so, figure his his other two career wins are at Indianapolis and Long yeah, Beach. Long- so he's he's won on every type of IndyCar track. You know, from the mm-hmm. tight road course to the, to the giant oval. So, yeah, I mean, you can't count Sato out, and it's probably, uh, you know, in, in 2017 when he did win the thing. He was kind of a little under the radar then, too. Everybody was kind of focused on Alonzo, you know, and, and focused on, mm-hmm. on Rossi a bit, and focused on the Penske cars. And so I think the, um, you know, the fact that every a lot of folks are kind of focused on Marco and focused on Dixon, and they're also focused on the, the Penske cars coming up from the back. Um, and still that, Alonso, despite being well And still Alonso, yeah, we'll, we'll get to him in a moment. But I, I think that uh, there's less distraction for Sato to just go in, get a get a good race set up, um, you know, and, and just have a great day. So um, the, I don't want to count Sato out. Now, Richard, you and Sato are old buddies. So I want to kind of bring you into the conversation <laughs> here. So, uh and um, so we've got um, – so that's our, our front row. We've talked about Marco, Dixon, and Sato. Um, starting fourth is Renus VK, uh, the top qualified Chevy. So, so Richard, you, you want to weigh in on anybody we've talked about so far, or you want to – It's interesting, isn't it, with the <clears throat> Honda, you know, d- dominance, if you like, of qualifying. Is there, how many Chevys in there were in the Fast 9? It was only one just, or two, wasn't just it? Just one. Just, just one, re- yeah. Just VK, yeah. Um, I bet Alonso's happy about that, isn't they? Oh, boy. Uh, yeah, that's awkward. Uh, <laughs> so let me ask so, you this with your with your engineering background, okay? So it mm-hmm. seems like Honda really has figured out 
something with the extra boost. When they put the extra boost on, there were no Chevys near the top other than yeah. uh, VK. Um, yeah. Do you think that, uh, you know, so they found some top-end speed, but, but again, the Chevy cars were pretty good in traffic. Um, they were pretty solid in traffic uh, when we came yeah. to the post-qualifying thing. So do you feel like maybe we'll have a re- repeat of uh, 2017 where we saw some Honda engines expire during the race? Are we pushing I mean, it too much? You could have, you know, what you've seen in Formula 1, what they call the party mode on the engine mapping, you know, um, um, a, a boost setting, a, you know, an a ability to, to, to push the car a little bit harder for those four laps than you would for the, you know, the, 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 the full race, the 200 laps that make up the race there. So, um, it'll be interesting to see what they can do if they can run at that. If they can run at that speed during the race, they're just going to disappear off into the distance, aren't they? Really? Um, but it'll be, yeah, it'll certainly be very interesting to see if they are capable of doing that. I, I don't think they will. I think what you, you'll probably see is them. They'll probably, if they can, you know, build a, as a pack of Hondas, you know, an early advantage, and, and then just settle and hold the gap if that if they can do that. Uh, but of course, with the draft, it's completely different. Isn't it? It's a completely different science and a different car setup. You know, the the way you um, set your gear ratios and everything, and the way they interact with the tires or with the with the um, engine mapping is, is is unique. So it'll be fascinating to see what they can do. But you hope that the Chevy has something for the race, and you hope that Honda do have to turn their engine down a little bit, otherwise it could become a little bit of a, a sort of a split race. Certainly. Now, speaking of Sato, uh, he, he made a few comments that, that he feels like uh, passing on race day is going to be very difficult, uh, you know, with the with the additional drag due to the, the aero screen and whatnot. And, and Dixon <laughs> said some comments that kind of, Echo the same thing. He he said he believed that uh, you know the winner's going to come from the first couple of rows because he doesn't feel like you're going to be able to get through uh, the traffic quite uh, you know quite the way you could, especially like back in the days of the um, you know like 2013, 2014. You know the pre um, the old DW you know the old DW the pre Universal Aero Kit era. Yeah. Um, there was a, you know, a lot of passing, a lot of drafting was if you, you know, if you were hooked up, you can get through. So, um, you see this, uh, as as maybe, as maybe a a real issue that these guys in the back and we've got solid guys in the back. We're talking, you know, all the Penske guys are, are in in the bottom half of the field, you know, as well as Alonzo. Um, (laughs) so do you you feel like, uh, maybe they're just going to be stuck there or, or, or Sato just uh... – It's an interesting I, – I, I don't think it will be quite as, as – potentially quite as bad as he makes it out to be. I think that um, the aero screen, I don't think will have too much of an impact because it's, it's in a relatively aero-neutral area. It's not developing excessive amounts of downfalls. There will be a little bit more drag, but in many ways – and I haven't you know, seen any models of anything, and they probably are far more privy to it than I am, but um, – you know, the helmet is a terrible, you know, the, the driver's setup is a terrible thing for drag because it's so unstable. It moves around, it 
Each drive is a slightly different. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner front high and you've got the hands above the rim of the the monocoque and all this sort of stuff so the actual aero screen from a aero perspective is great because it neutralizes all this unknown turbulent air um so i'm a little bit surprised at the see that he thinks it'll increase the drag i mean thinking back to where we've run um you know on the speedway so far this year at, at texas you know there's some pretty deep you know there's some passing going on there mainly by scott dixon but you know, it was. It, I, I didn't think it was too much of an issue there. Um, obviously, Indy's a unique circuit in, in many ways, and uh, you know, you get those long toes down the front and the back stretch. And uh, I, you know, I think it's going to be a case of who's got the biggest, uh, you know, biggest um, balls, as it were, to dive down the inside into turns one and turn three there. Yeah, then, then of course, factor in the fact that it's also it's a very long race. And, you know, mm-hmm. pitch strategy is going to come in there and how the yellow falls, you know, how the yellows fall uh, will factor into that, too. So uh, there's no saying that just because a, a guy is, is at the back that he's going to stay at the back. No. And also out of interest, um, and I have, having never been, unfortunately, to a 500 race, you know, what are we looking at the weather? Do you think it's going to be hotter than normal? I've heard rain all throughout, <laughs> including Friday. But right. that was a while yeah. back. And the last I saw, they were talking about rain Sunday morning. Yeah, I think I've heard that, but it would be cleared by the race, I think, because what I heard. Yeah, we've got a a later start time than normal. Mm -hmm. You know, we're starting at 2.30, you know, rather than at noon. So if it's hotter it, than normal, that'll be interesting for them as well to see, because obviously uh, that's going to have an aero impact. you got to figure, August is generally hotter than May. Yeah. So although, although I've been at some I've been at some 500s in May where it's just, it's been oppressively hot. Um, so yeah, that'll weather will certainly have a have mm-hmm. a uh, factor. So especially in the closing laps where there's some shade as well, because judging on the later portion of the practice from Sunday, part of the track is going to be covered with the shades of the grandstands, and part of it will not. So I'm not sure how exactly how IndyCar deals with this, but I imagine it'll be something similar how shades will benefit or be a detriment to the car i'm no car technicality expert so that's how so i'm just going to make that disclaimer car technicality expert i like that <laughs> now seth you've been quiet so i want to bring you, you into the conversation because there's, there's a couple other guys up there in the top nine that we haven't talked about and again we're you know because marco's getting all the press and deservedly so uh but uh, there's a couple other guys up there seth um uh, like Ryan Hunter Ray and uh, a certain Mr. Alexander Rossi are up there in the top nine as well. So, um, 
give me your thoughts on those guys a little bit, Seth. And I hate to put you well, on the spot, but I know you're big. You're a big Hunter Ray fan, so. Well, Hunter Ray, uh, uh, he won it a few years ago. Uh, he hasn't had the best of seasons. He's admittedly made some uh, rookie mistakes here and there, and like how we were, you were talking about earlier, Marco and Dreddy just seemed lost the last couple of years. I've almost felt that same way about Ryan Hunter Ray this year in particular. Uh, Alexander Rossi, uh, he, he's been strong, just hasn't been able to put an entire race together either. Something mechanical has happened. He's gotten caught up in the wreck or uh, just on the wrong strategy. And somebody else I'd even point out because I didn't hear any of you uh, bring him up is a uh, Hinch uh, starting oh, six. Oh yeah, certainly. Yeah, Hinch is right up there too in the Andretti car. Yeah, I, I expect him to run well. Uh, he almost always has. Uh, whether or not this is his year is, you know, only time will tell. And the other person who impressed me is Renus VK being the only Chevy, not only in the Fast Nine but in the top twelve. Uh, and, and a rookie at that. Yes. And speaking of Renus, so he's he's driving for Ed Carpenter, and Ed Carpenter generally puts together pretty darn good cars for the 500. I mean, Ed himself has started on pole a couple times. We saw um, last year Spencer Piggott had a really good run in the Carpenter car. Um, so it, it's kind of interesting to me that you've got uh, VK being the new guy in there, and and you know Ed and Connor Daly are back a little bit further, but I, you know, I always get the feeling you can't count the Carpenter guys out on a race day, although they've never put together the win. You know, they've had some pretty do- good runs there. Um, and and VK, VK's a talented guy. I don't, you know, I don't want to say he's in over his head being right up there at the front. He's going to have to be real careful. I mean, you do recall yeah. he, uh, he he had a hell of a mistake. Um, was, it, was it in Texas? Yep, and it collected Alex Pelot, who's also in that front couple rows as well. Yeah, yeah, well, no, another impressive rookie, yeah. Those two guys have been pretty much the show stealers as far as for that rookie of the year honors. But let's not forget Pato Award and Oliver Askew. I feel like this rookie of the year battle will come down to the to the very end. It's not going to be one of those where one car or two cars going to completely run away with it. Come race day, it's a whole different story, and I feel like those McLaren guys, those young guys, put a run for their money for between VK and Palou. And especially if that mistake happens early on, then the, then it's wide open for those McLaren guys to make a statement that they were the more, more well-prepared rookies of the bunch. Oh, well, certainly if you look at their results in the, the first couple of races uh, we've had this season, um, the McLaren team, or Arrow, you know, Arrow McLaren SP has uh, been for real. Um, and Askew and um, Award are both for real, so those guys could certainly contend on race day. And, um, and then, of course, Award is a, you know, while he's had enough starts in the series that he's not a rookie of the year contender for the series, he is a rookie at, at Indianapolis, having been bumped last year, so he's got the shot at rookie of the year for Indianapolis. And um, But I want, I want to circle back to Carpenter Racing for a second and, and throw this one to either Seth or... Uh, Richard, uh, because we've got Cole Pern in there, who's uh, you know well known for engineering Martin Truex's success in uh, in Cup, is um, 
right there as the, the race engineer for Connor Daly in the Carpenter car. So um, I've heard some really good comments about Cole Pern, and Cole's made some really good comments about uh, how how well he feels like his experience has uh, translated. So um, what, what do you guys think about it? Connor Daly is an absolute fan favorite. I think it's going to be interesting. Uh, I mean, overall, the job is very similar to that of a NASCAR crew chief. He just has more information at his disposal. So if he was as successful as he was in NASCAR, it actually is kind of scary to me thinking about how successful he could be in IndyCar as a strategist or an engineer, Uh, which, granted, I'm getting ahead of ourselves here. I know we're talking Indy 500, but I'm almost sitting here wishing Cole Pern and Jimmy Johnson would team up in the IndyCar series next year. Again, getting ahead of ourselves here, but <laughs> yeah, you're getting just, way ahead of ourselves. But uh, yeah, that that's an interesting thought for sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Now, now, now Richard, say, Richard, you know Cole yeah. pretty well. Yeah, you guys have worked together we've, a bit, so we've bumped shoulder, we've, we've we've crossed paths. Yeah, no, he's um, he, he he as a crew chief, he was an engineer first. You know, you, you see a lot of crew chiefs who were car setup guys um, who translate into the crew chief and leave the engineering to the engineers whereas as Cole was uh, you know through and through a true um, true engineer before he, he sort of transitioned to the crew chief role so he'll get it you know he'll he'll have followed IndyCar long enough he knows what he's getting himself in for and I think he'll do very 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 well there now do you know because I, I don't know this off the top of my head Louis maybe you do is he is he Signed on with Carpenter just for the 500. It's just for the 500. Or will he be? Will he be with Connor at Gateway? Because I know Connor's running Gateway for the Carpenter team. I'm positive he's just only doing the 500. Fern has left the idea open and wanted to do some IndyCar races of years, but as far as full time or anything after Indy, it's not official and not on the on his mind. Because bear in mind, he has his own company. I think what is it like outdoor products or. The involves snow. Ski lodge or something like Thank that. Thank you. Yeah, that, that's what it is. And also does some stuff, other projects with NASCAR, like when it comes to media stuff, but only the 500 is on his mind for Cole at this moment of time. Okay. Well, well good for him. I hope he's he, like hope a Lonzo, have... really, isn't he? He's obviously the, the Lonzo of race engineers. <laughs> yeah, because Cole will be at Le Mans next, right? Yeah. <laughs> if, All right, well, so let's. If, uh, if that happens, Rick Ware will welcome them. Just I was going to say, yeah, Rick Ware. Yeah, I think Rick Ware already. I think Ware already withdrew from Lamont. So there's always next year. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so let's talk about the Penske cars then, okay? Because you can never count the Penske guys out. You've got a powerhouse team. You know, you've got three Indy 500 winners. And then, then the other guy is a two-time season champion and the defending champion, and all these guys have been solid at Indy. Um, so you never want to count them out. Uh, but Elio was really good on the final day of practice. Uh, Pagano car has been a, a rocket in um, in traffic. Um, so, but these guys are all kind of starting pretty far back. So, um, who wants to uh, talk about the the Penske Quartet? I can start off real quick. So for those who are into all that number stuff, the last 
the last time that Penske has not been in the first four rows in Indianapolis 500 was in 2002, when Elio Castroneves and Joe LeFerrin started 13th and 14th, respectively. And if you remember how 2002 panned out, Elio won the race from that spot. Joseph Newgarden starts 13th. So if you won a dark horse contender, if you're an odds man, don't don't bank again. Don't bet. Don't bank against Newgarden if you believe in that stuff. But that in mind, I think Pagano Castroneves has shown the speed. But it's going to be interesting, but very fun and exciting to follow how they're going to wait, work their way through the front. I know a lot of people are talking about passing is going to be more difficult. Tony Kanan doesn't really believe that's going to be much of it because it's not going to be any different. And I feel like I wouldn't be surprised if it's going to be that case. We've seen Alexander Rossi work his way from the very back in the field one year and still ended up working his way towards the front. But I still, if that's going to be difficult because there's always that possibility, then strategy is going to be very key for those guys to get their ways up there. As far as Will Power, I, he has a massive sense of urgency. He has struggled. Compared to everybody else, he has, uh, the Pansy game, he has struggled horrendously. That I feel like he kind of, if things don't go well, it's going to be an, an added disaster of what's been a disastrous year for Will this year compared to any other year that he's dealt with. Because this is not the Will Power we've seen where he's making driver. Well, it was more driver errors than I've ever seen in a long time from him. But for New Garden, again, sense of urgency as well because he's the only one out of that court chat that's never won the Indy 500. And there's been at times that's been said Indy 500 championship is more important than a series title. Uh, to Roger, for sure, yeah. I mean, Roger likes his guys to win the Indy 500. You know, he wants to continue to <laughs> pile the little baby borgs on there, yeah. But uh, yep. what's your point about Will Power? Yeah, he does seem a little, uh, you know, lost this year um but uh it's been that... vocal and frustrated about a lot of things even about the pit road rule at iowa where he was basically on a rant about it, it during one of the post-race conferences they he's been very as vocal that he's ever been as well so it's been a lot of frustrations from him for sure yeah and i don't i i don't know if he feels like there's additional pressure on him this year uh because you know there is the thought that Scott McLaughlin is being groomed to join the IndyCar team, and mm-hmm. I think Will doesn't want to be the uh, the odd man out. Um, you'd have to be, you know, just given Will's results with Team Penske, uh, you'd have to be uh, pretty cold to put him out to pasture, just given the amount of races he's won, plus giving uh, a season title and an Indy 500 win. But uh, but but again, you know when. When it's your time, it's your time. You know, Roger didn't have any any issues, uh, uh, you know, shipping uh, Juan Montoya and um, Castro Nevis off to IMSA, and then when he disbanded his, his IMSA program, didn't have any problem telling those those same guys, uh, yeah, you can go look for work if you'd like. You know, which is uh, another developing story that uh, you know Castro Nevis is hoping to uh, get back into the IndyCar series full time. But, uh, you know, we could talk about that on another day uh, mm-hmm. because I, I think the, the opportunities are few and far between unless unless Elio uh, comes up with some big sponsor money, which, uh, you know, all things considered, Elio's never had to do that in his career. He's always had a no. pretty solid ride with Penske. He's never been asked to uh, beat the street and, uh, you know, bring some sponsorship on board. So that's uh, that'll be a new thing for him. 
Yeah, and it even goes back all the way to the Hogan days, if I recall. He didn't have to really bring – he was pretty much one of the last few out of pure talent they made it to the ladder system while being the big money man compared to, like, the Pedro Denises and Tarso Marquez's of his time period. Certainly, certainly, yeah. But, I mean, at the end of the day, if, if Elliot were to ride off into the sunset and enjoy his retirement, he's got nothing to be ashamed of. He's had a fantastic career. Um, but, but you know, racers want to race, you know what I mean? And I think that uh, while Elio has enjoyed IMSA, he really misses the IndyCar series. And that guy has been, you know, one of the one of the faces of the series for so many years. And it would be a shame if he can't find at least at least a part-time deal for um, for next year or so. But, but, again, that's a developing story that's got nothing to do with the 500 this week. So, so, guys, who else do we need to discuss in the 500 field? We haven't discussed about Alonso in greater detail as well, because he's got his work cut up for as well. He's day one, almighty Danny. Then ever since that incident at, at practice, one of only two incidents this month, he's been an afterthought, to be honest with you. And that can be a concern, because this is Alonso's last bid for the 500, because once he goes to Renault next year, He's not going to be running 2021 or 2022 because of his obligations with Renault. And, of course, the Monaco Grand Prix being clashing with the 500. But still keep an eye on him for sure. But as far as joining Graham Hill, as far as the Triple Crown of Motorsports, I don't really see it right now. I honestly don't. When you have guys like Marco and Dixon, all the guys that we talked about being strong contenders, it have shown it on a more consistent basis. And it makes me wonder if – if Alonso can't get it done, I know we'll talk about it some other time. But what about Montoya? All he has is Lamar left. If you put him in a top-tier Lamar car, it can be salvageable. Maybe Montoya could be the guy meant to be at, to join Graham, but time will tell, and we'll see. Yeah, how I was going to say, yeah, Montoya is just as close to Alonso. You know, and, and, and Alonso's, you know, Lamar win was pretty much a lock, you know what I mean? Yeah, well, he was with Toyota. And, yeah, you know, ho- hop, in, hop in the Toyota, him. and there you go, you know. So, But let's talk about, speaking of, you had mentioned Graham Hill. So let, let's mention a guy that's named after him that we really haven't talked about, and that's Graham Rahal. Um, and Graham Rahal is, now he's uh, he's uh, he's up there in I the. I thought you were going to say Damon Hill then. <laughs> Damon Hill. Ah, hey, man, you I know. Mean, uh, John Damon... Lacey did it in his 50s. <laughs> yeah, we just no, let's out. talk about, uh, let's talk about, uh, Graham Rahal, because, uh, you know, he's he's right up there in, in the first three rows, um, and he's uh, exuded a, a, a bunch of confidence. He feels really good about this year. Um, so you guys like Graham Rahal's chances? He's He hasn't had stellar results at Indy, but he's not been terrible. Uh, but he, he's certainly a dark horse, you know, along with Hinch, uh, a dark horse to, uh, you know, kind of sneak in there and steal one from the bigger names. He's a complete race and a pit stop trouble free race away from being right up there. I feel like this year, I know we haven't talked about this yet. Pit stops is going to be pretty key because, again, after that 15 day grind that we had in July, it's been quite a good while since. But I'll say this as well Carb Day will probably see some pit stops. Maybe they'll get groomed up pretty well, so maybe pit stops won't be that much of an issue as we saw. The last time we have that many races on the IndyCar. But still, I feel like there's going to be a lot of factors for Ray Hall to be considered a true dark horse contender, which I 
could see, but not fully there at this moment of time in my thought process. All right. How about Ed Carpenter? <sighs> I don't. I really don't see him being right up there, to be brutally honest with you. Maybe he, maybe Carp Day, I'll change my mind. Maybe they'll step, come in clutch. But what I'm seeing so far from him, I just don't feel like he'll be right up there like I, I, like I would have wanted him to be compared to the last couple of years. All right. So uh, how about Tony Kanaan? I mean, here's a guy whose poor old farewell tour has been beatered and beaten down with the COVID-19 to the point that he's considering, ah, maybe I'll do another year just to just to kind of have my farewell tour. Um, now, now the Foyt cars are, you know, they're they had some flashes of brilliance uh, in the early races. I mean, Kimball was really good in, in Texas until. You know, the unfortunate little incident there at the end. Um, Tony hasn't been bad, but uh, at the 500, Tony has generally been in the mix more often than not. Um, So, and he's there with, uh, you know, Charlie's in there, Dalton Kellett's in there. Um, You feel like Tony's got got a shot at this thing? And, and, you know, factoring that, uh, you know, pitch strategy and yellows could kind of go his way. Um, what do you what do you think the chances of a, a Foyt victory for Tony are? It's it's probable. I feel like with this sense of urgency, just the conf, confidence that he has that he wants to put on an excellent performance. You can never count out Tony. And no matter what car he's in, he always finds a way to deliver in any car. And I see that being no different this year. I th- I feel like with this limited schedule, I feel like he's more the more concentrated on the race he wants to run. And I think that will really boast him pretty well. And with this Indy 500, in my opinion, when it comes to Tony, so I would not count him out. It'll be interesting how he really does, though, in the beginning, because if he in the very beginning he's right up there in the top half of the field, then I think he's he could put himself in a pretty decent position to be a contender. Certainly. Okay, so let's talk about the other Ganassi cars that are not driven by Scott Dixon. So we've got uh, Marcus Erickson and we've got Felix Rosenqvist. Uh, both these guys have shows, particularly Felix, who's, who won a race. Um, th- these guys are both pretty solid. Um, do you feel like uh, maybe we could see you know, one of those guys uh, spoil Marcos' parade? For sure. I, I, I would not be surprised with Rose Request being up there. I, I don't know. There's something about Erickson that I feel like there's on-tap potential still at IndyCar. He's been sad. He's been happy with, this, with the transition. He's done pretty good at some of the racing. He's just been kind of like almost a complete afterthought, but pretty good at the same time. To where I can say I would not count him out. I mean, if I recall correctly, 2017, wasn't that when Max Shilton was with Ganassi? Ah, uh, that sounds about right, yeah. I mean, I feel like he could have a Max Shilton 2017 run. I feel like that, I have that good feeling that Erickson could have that kind of role that Shilton had in 2017. So, Because the guys that were in Formula One that were mostly in, involved in that system jump into the 500. The last couple guys, they've done particularly well. I see Erickson... In a much competitive car compared to last year when he was driving for the then-known Schmidt-Peterson, I think he's going to shine pretty good this time around. And another one 
before we transition to another topic, Colton Hurtum. I yeah, we haven't Colton. talked about Colton. That 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 dude is on fire. Yeah, Colton Hurtum. I know. Last time I said at Iowa, he was my pick to win, and you know what happened. But and that ordeal, but. I still feel like we have not seen Colton do his thing in Indy. He didn't get his chance last year because he was out of the race in like less than five laps with a mechanical problem. I feel like if there's no mechanical problems, we'll see how Colton really does in Indy. We still, I still don't know what to think of him in Indianapolis, to be brutally honest. So I will not. I will keep an eye on Colton and how he does for sure. All right. Well, with that being said, we've got some other racing topics we need to discuss tonight. So let's. Go, let's go around the table and make our picks for the Indy 500 winner, and I'll start with you, Richard. Ooh. Who is it going to – you say I do this every time, don't I? Have to say, ooh, yeah, you go, ooh. Build it up. So, sometimes ooh. you go, mmm. Mmm, <laughs> I'll do it. Ooh, and a mmm tonight then. Let's say Marcus Erickson. Okay, that's a that's a bold pick. I mean, if he put some money on that, you'd uh, you'd get a good payback there, man. I'm sure the odds are uh, in your favor. Seth, who do you like? Yeah. Well, I've made the same pick, I think, for the past three years, and this year I think he actually has a chance compared to the past three years. So, Marco Andretti. All right, Marco Andretti. Yep, smart money there, Seth. Yeah, Marco is uh, he's on fire this year at Indy. He's, I, the, the confidence uh, exuded from him is something we haven't seen in a couple of years. So, yeah, great pick, Seth. Uh, Louise, who do you like? I mentioned it earlier. I feel like since that post-qualifying incident and how this team prepared themselves, wasted no time to fix the car, and the way the season has gone, there's no reason why I would not go with Scott Dixon as my overall pick. I'm going with him finally getting that second Indy 500. It's just they're they're on it. They are very on top of things, and I feel that's really going to work with them in their absolute favor as the race winds down. All right, and I, as much as I'd like to pick Will Power to win, and I've, I've, I've got a really crazy reason why I like to pick Will Power, and that's for the fact that he's running that uh, black Verizon livery uh, that looks so nice, and I'd like Greenlight to produce a diecast of that, uh, but they, the only diecast they produce is the dull silver one. Um, but if he wins the race, they'll certainly make the uh, Black Verizon diecast. Um, but actually, I don't see it happening. My pick for uh, race day is Takuma Sato becomes a, a two-time winner uh, at the 500 and uh, makes Bobby Rahal and David Letterman very happy. So that's uh, that's our Indy 500 preview, guys. Uh, carb day's coming up. Um, race day's coming up. Hopefully, the weather will cooperate. We'll have a great race. It'll be... Very different without fans because, I mean, you know, for years and years and years, this has been one of the, the biggest, you know, single-day spectators, you know, events in all of sports, and it's going to run to an empty house. So, uh, that being said, Seth, we had a uh, brand-new track. Well, it's not a brand-new yeah, track, but it's a new well, it's a new uh, new thing for Cup to run the road course at Daytona. Cup. And it was it's a pretty interesting race. Antarctica. Yep, yep. So you want to take us through it a little bit? Start well, with start with the cup race. Well, let me put it this way. Uh, earlier this year, we had the NASCAR iRacing Pro Invitational. I feel like it was the Chase Elliott Pro Invitational 
uh, with how well he ran. Uh, I don't think anyone really had a chance of catching Chase. Granted, Hamlin was close at times. Truex was close at times. But Chase just kept running away from them. Uh, Truex had... Uh, yeah, Truex I was going to say... A, Go ahead. No, you, you go. Hey, Chase for sure pretty much had it all delivered. Deliver. But my question is, after you mentioned about Truex, do you feel like he's the top road racer? Because I still honestly feel like Truex is still number one, but not by much where he was about a year ago. Uh, I don't think Truex is. I think him and Chase are on almost a level playing field. Uh, it, it's honestly hard to say in the Cup Series because it's pretty much been the two of them and Kyle Busch dominating road courses in recent years. Kyle Busch, uh, again, had a strange uh, failure. A brake rotor failed. They replaced it, and the new one then exploded, blowing out both rear tires with, I think, five laps ago or six laps ago, something like that. Yeah, it's been a weird year for Kyle, and it makes me wonder, have we seen such a miserable championship defense well, Cup series. Let me put it to you this way. Kyle is only 99 points above the cut line. If he wrecks out the next three races and somebody new wins, he could theoretically n- miss the playoffs. Be great, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. But, but do you think yeah. uh, do you think it was uh, do you think Joe Gibbs was one of the teams that were lobbying for more one-day races next year then with no practice and just the uh, qualifying in the race? Well, if if they were, I'm pretty sure the 18 wasn't a part of that. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But um, we also had a uh, driver making his debut, uh, Kaz Grala, filling in for uh, Austin Dillon, who tested positive for COVID-19. Uh, Austin, uh, last I checked, was, had mild symptoms. Uh, his wife, Whitney, and his son, Ace, uh, do not have symptoms. He is isolated uh and quarantined um i haven't heard the past couple days but i do know uh nascar updated their policy recently to they either need uh to test negative twice within uh within 14 days of first testing positive and the the two negative tests have to be uh 24 hours apart after that 14th day, or sorry, after that 10th day, uh, they will then reevaluate it with a NASCAR consulting physician. And this is based on updated guidelines from the CDC. So, in theory, he could technically return to racing without testing negative, which I'm not entirely sure how that well again they're going based on the guidelines that the cdc put out so it's word for word what's on the cdc website wait but you confused me right there he he can return to racing without testing negative after 10 days 
if he does not have oh, a Oh, if he fever. doesn't exhibit symptoms. Okay, all right. I got you. I, I missed yeah. where you said that. So, But back to your original point, because yeah. you've got a guy making his first cup start, and, and here's a tremendous opportunity for, for a young guy looking to make a name for himself. Yeah. And he really, really made the most of that, didn't he, Seth? Yeah, he had to start from the rear because it was technically a driver change. Uh, Kaz drove the first half of the race or so just inside the top 15, top 18, uh, keeping his nose clean. After uh, the lightning delay, he made his way to the front during uh, Psycho Green Flag pit stops, led the race for a few laps, uh, and ended up finishing seventh. Kaz did not have any simulator time whatsoever for this track. No iRacing, no Chevy Sim, nothing. He entered this track cold turkey, only uh, going based on his previous Rolex experience, which they ran a slightly different layout from the Rolex with an added chicane off turn four. Uh, and granted, the Rolex uh, cars, even though he ran the GTs, are wildly different from that, a NASCAR stock car. So mm. for Kaz to run as well as he did with no practice whatsoever is also impressive. So, uh, so who was the last, who was the last driver to lead a NASCAR race on their debut then? I believe it was, I want to say it was Trevor. Eric Jones from what? Oh, Eric Jones. Yeah. Eric from Jones. Joseph Strigley's tweet because he's yeah. been collecting all these Casgrala stats like, his worst Daytona finish of his career was this past Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let me, no, yeah, let me no, ask no. you because I, I, I told you in the pre-show before we went on the air that I really I really don't know a lot about Kaz Grala, but has he excelled on um, some of the road courses um, in the Xfinity series on the trucks? Yeah. Has he been pretty good there? Yes, uh, he actually ran top five at Road America uh the previous weekend and that's what got him the standby opportunity in uh the rcr cup cards god forbid either tyler or austin tested positive and unfortunately austin tested positive so that's what put him in the car in place of austin okay and and what's his Uh, and what's his background did he did he like start in the scca on on road courses or or is he uh coming out of like dirts and midgets uh I would say SC, a combination of SCCA and uh, the lower levels in NASCAR, the uh, K&M Pro, now ARCA East and West. Uh, he worked his up, way up through the, way, through the ranks, uh, won his, uh, the season opener of Daytona for the Truck Series a few years ago when uh, Matt Crafton flipped. Uh, and he was in contention to win at, uh, at Canada that year and got uh, – punted out of the way by Austin Sindrick. Um, but he has had some decent runs, even in the Xfinity series. He, uh, his rookie year, he didn't get to finish because the team he was driving for went out of business due to sponsorship issues. He went to his father's team. They started one up from scratch. First race, they finished top 10. They ran... I think seven or eight races until they ran out of sponsorship. And one of them at Daytona, they ran an old show car, uh, a 15 year old show car to a third place finish. Nice. Nice. I mean, all, all this tells so, me that this kid has some really raw talent and, and when you get him you know, 
in Austin Dillon's car, which is arguably, you know, that's the, the top half of the um, the cup teams there. And, um, and and he has a great day. So, man, you know, good for him. Really, you know, I always like to see a, a young racer make the most of an opportunity when it's presented to him. Yeah, and Cass has always excelled at taking opportunities and making the most of them when he could. Uh, that being said, there's been times where, honestly, there's just not enough room at the end. Uh, he was at GMS racing in the truck series, and there wasn't going to be a seat for him. That's why he moved up to the Xfinity series into Ford uh, Performance's first version of their driver development program, driving for, I believe it was JGL racing, until they shut down. And they couldn't get more support, even with his dad's team. So that's what led him to RCR, except he just doesn't have a full-time sponsor to give him the opportunity to actually compete for a full season. Yeah, he's had a very interesting career for sure. He's delivered. He just needs that big opportunity to get him on the full-time base. And even in the post-race presser, he pretty much implied that he hopes that Sunday will give him a, an opportunity to maybe go full-time Xfinity next year, but who knows for sure at this moment in time as well. All right, well, guys, we're, we got about 10 minutes left in the show, so let's just, uh, Seth, real quick, um, update us on the uh, Xfinity and truck races from there, and then let's talk about Formula One for a little bit, and then we need to mention Jimmy Johnson is uh, trying to nail down some funding to run an Indy cars. Well, Austin Sindrick and Chase Briscoe uh, basically battled it out in the Xfinity Series until uh, a one of the final restarts, uh, everyone missed a, uh, turn one. And as a result, uh, Chase Briscoe collided with uh, two of the road course ringers, Josh Blicky and Preston Pars, knocking him out, basically giving the race to Austin Sindrick. Uh, granted, Sindrick had the better car of the two, uh, there's a little controversy between A.J. Allmendinger and Justin Allgaier. Allmendinger wheel-hopped, uh, taking Allgaier out of the top-five finish. Uh, Allgaier claims that uh, A.J. has wrecked him numerous times before, most recently at Talladega, which there's a video uh, from Freddie Kraft. Um <laughs> <laughs> I think you know what I I'm talking feel, about. Yeah, I feel yeah. bad. I feel bad for Justice. He's having such a rotten year that he everything yeah. is all meshing together. Well, to be fair, the college cars typically run the same paint scheme, so I can understand his confusion. Um, point is, uh, it wasn't AJ that wrecked him at Talladega, but it was AJ that wrecked him at the Daytona Road Course in the Truck Series. Sheldon Creed and Brett Moffitt, the two uh, GMS teammates, bowed it out. Sheldon Creed ended up winning the race. Uh, I do want to give kudos to Parker Klingerman. He got spun out of the top five twice in the final two cautions, restarted 26, and in two laps went from 26 to finish eighth. Yeah, good for him. So the, I was going to say, I'm not sure I've seen that before, at least on road course. And I'm not sure we're going to see that anytime soon. I was hoping Will Rogers would pull that thing off in the ARCA race, but that never materialized, unfortunately. Well, unfortunately, uh, Will Rogers uh, 
they were the only team to switch to slick tires. The Arkham race did run in the rain, and it was the first ever road course race for Arca, which Arca is owned by NASCAR. So also first ever road course race for NASCAR run at night, and that was because of uh, rain delays mm-hmm. or well, more lightning delays yeah, than anything yeah. else. But uh, Michael Self won that race uh, after Ty Gibbs overheated his rain tires and uh, slipped uh, essentially a few seconds off the pace. Uh, Will Rogers, like you said, uh, finished fifth after switching to slick tires. Haley Deegan was sixth after she got caught up in an incident in the International Horseshoe. Uh, Otherwise, it was a fairly typical ARCA race. Uh, The only caution was their... uh, their uh, midway break because right now they don't have live pit stops uh, to try to help save those teams money. So it was also a disappointing race for Chandler Smith. It was kind of a bummer how his race went up because that's another guy people are highly touting to be right up there someday, maybe a year or two, he'll be in that KBM truck ride. Well, to be fair, they were saying the same thing about Haley Deegan. They were saying the same thing about, uh, other drivers. Yeah, uh, that I know so. it's true. But with Rafa, Rafa Lazard now finally getting things together, it's going to be tough. All right, so we are racing Cup Series at um, Dover on Saturday, correct? All right, so let's make some picks. Saturday and Sunday. Oh, is it a doubleheader? Yeah. All right, so let's yeah. make some picks for your doubleheader. I'll start with you, Richard. Ooh, Jimmy Johnson and okay. Seth? Jimmy Johnson and Kevin Hart. Okay. Louise? Let's see. MTJ and Denny. And I'm going to say Denny Hamlin and Kevin Harvick. All right. So we got about five minutes left uh, to uh, quickly update Formula One. Formula One was in Spain, correct? Lewis Hamilton won again, yeah, correct, yeah. and broke Michael Schumacher's yeah. record for podium. So uh, uh, talk us through this race in Spain right, really quick because uh, it, it was a bit of a underwhelming event. But, uh, again, we had some more tire issues. Yeah, marginally. I don't think it was – it certainly wasn't on the same level as what we saw at Silverstone a couple of weeks earlier. But um, – yeah, and obviously now the teams are all very conscious of it, so it gets highlighted a little bit more than it has been in the past. But they uh, just went conservative, really, on a on a two-stop strategy for most of the teams there, I think, and uh, it never really became a huge issue. It was just that they couldn't push the cars as much as they'd like. Um, Hamilton got pole by over Bottas by narrow margins on the Saturday afternoon, and that puts... Um, you know, Hamilton on the clean side of the track, the racing line, and, and Bottas had a poor start, in all fairness, dropped from second down to fourth behind Verstappen and uh, uh, Lance Stroll, I think it was, who made a great start up there into, uh, into <clears throat> third place. And he managed to get past Stroll relatively easily, but, you know, from Bottas's standpoint, that was race over, really, and just sat around, you know, first, second, third, um, with nobody really able to push uh, Hamilton up front, really. They, uh, you know, uh, and this is the problem we talked about it in the past. When you've got is and what Red Bull, you know, the Mercedes can always cover what Red Bull does. Um, and and, and there's no criticism of Alex Albon, who's a very young driver. Well, actually, I think he's actually older than Max Verstappen. 
which is the strange thing about it, but relatively experienced driver up against, uh, you know, Max and, you know, Red Bull really do need, you know, go back in the older days, old days, goodness me, wasn't that long ago, when you had like, you know, Mark Webber and Seb there or Seb and Daniel Ricciardo or Daniel Ricciardo and Max Verstappen, you know, two guys who are going to be pushing each other and qualifying up there to, to, to push the Mercedes at the moment, the Mercedes can cover the challenge. And especially with that Ferrari being up there, it's relatively easy for them. They've learned from the mistakes at Silverstone recently, and uh, I don't think we're going to see those again in a hurry. But yeah, I mean, the Circuit de Catalunya is always a reasonably professional race. Uh, not many overtaking opportunities. The guys test there all winter or relatively, you know. Most of the drivers in the on the grid will have done more laps of Barcelona than any of the tracks. So all pretty professional around there, unfortunately. Um, but... Uh, not outside of that, not the only other news we've seen this weekend is that, or this week, sorry, is that all 10 teams have now signed up to the uh, Concord Agreement for 2021 and beyond, which is the commercial and sporting regulation. Certainly agreement. That, that puts to rest so, no, any annual rumor that Ferrari is going to leave the series because they, no. they kind of threaten to do that every couple of years. So uh, Ferrari's. It'd be interesting to see whether uh, Ferrari have kept their veto as part of the rules. So I think that. The veto that they had was originally in the Concord Agreement, so it'll be interesting to see if they've still kept that on uh, some of the rules packages that uh, in the past they haven't agreed upon everybody else has wanted, but they haven't, and they got that. Well, All right, so are, are we are we racing strange. this weekend in Formula 1? or No, we've got a week off, and then we go to... Okay, because I, I, you know, it, it's, it's so weird, it's, it's, you know, because I fully expect... You know, I, well, I, you know, I fully expect uh, Monaco Grand Prix to come before Indianapolis, but uh, heck, it's not May either, so... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe some, maybe Charles Leclerc and those guys can uh, have a little race around Monaco on Sunday morning. Yeah, they, 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 they can I race. Beginning. Maybe Seth can get in there and, and to see. Uh, well, no, they can actually go out there and uh, you know they just turn out the garage and uh, have a quick couple of certainly, laps, can't they? Certainly, so most of them live there. All right, right, guys. I think we're going to do the fun portion of the season when it comes to these tracks coming up. So I, it should yeah. be it after. What you could consider rather a doozer of a Spanish Grand Prix. I think the only one that we have a question mark is probably Russia coming up. Yeah, and the other news that's come out this week is that Turkey's going to be back for a potentially one-off appearance later in the year. So there's going to be 17 races, or the plan is at the moment, for 17 races with the uh, last three races being a double header in Bahrain. Whether one of those uses the normal circuit and the other one uses the oval, which isn't really an oval, it's just a... It's the Caesar's Palace. Um, yeah, uh, and then the last race of this season being in Abu Dhabi is tradition, uh, which I think they're contractually ob- obligated to have, even if, uh, you know, under these exceptional circumstances. So as soon as they hit 15 races, that means the TV companies have to pay uh, their full license fee to Liberty. So that's uh, that's been their driving factor. But uh, there had been talk of going to Jerez, but I don't think that one's going to happen now. Uh, so Istanbul and Turkey's back. So everybody will get the joys of turn eight again at Istanbul and uh, that long sweeping left-hander. And uh, see call- if I can shred a few tyres. Time to call up Felipe Massa. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, the boy was good yes, around sir. there. So on that thought, we are out of time. So I want to thank you, Richard, Seth, and Louise. I want to thank the Hoobazoo Radio Network. And I want to thank iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, and Spreaker. And I want to thank you folks who listen to us week in and week out. Until next week, good night. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.